If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas, 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you could respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation. Bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode 70 of Skiba News, Na Skiba News Nation, sorry about that. We are completely live, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and so much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and here's my co-host, Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. Hey, 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 we are live for the first time on Friday. Uh, this is going to be a really cool episode. I'm really excited. So uh, for, for those who are watching uh please forgive our gaffes you know as we do this live recording <laughs> where we're gonna there have a blast a tonight yeah awesome yeah so jeremiah today we are going to be watching through the decoding deception video your dad put out uh he did a, did a presentation in september 2016 and it's a really great kind of uh cumulative uh, breaking down the seed war that's been happening all around the world uh, since biblical times. And uh, while we're doing this kind of video review, we'll, we'll be here talking and commenting live. If you guys have any things that you want to share or any thoughts, or you want us to pause the video and discuss uh, any of the points that are brought up, uh, just go ahead and leave a, a chat over in the live chat and, at the end of the show, if there's any other, uh, you know, questions you guys have or you want to have a, a little Q&A or, or, you know, hang session for a few minutes, we will be hanging around. So uh, how's that sound, Jeremiah? 
Sounds good to me. I'm ready. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, let's go ahead and kick it off with the Decoding Deception Conference presentation uh, that Rob did. And uh, this, you know, this is the first time we've done like a live review of one of your dad's videos. And I think it's it's going to be great. So, uh, you know, J Jeremiah, you too, if you have any things that you want to pause the video and we can discuss or uh, anything that relates to, you know, things happening in the world or just uh, cool topics, I'll, I'll be pausing the video too. And, and uh, we'll go through it that way. So For here sure we go, everybody. Let's go. Nothing like starting off extremely controversial. <laughs> That's my nature. Okay, well, I, I'm an invited guest, so <laughs> uh, and let me just say I get into enough trouble for the things that I say, so don't hold me accountable to what John says or what Doug says. <laughs> Deal with them if you have problems with them. <laughs> um, as you'll see probably throughout this weekend, we do not all agree on everything that we're going to present. We and we'll pause it right there. I think that's so important. You know, there's so many different topics whenever you're in the truther realm and uh, people have their area of expertise and, and people can disagree on topics. And I think that shows the heart of your dad is he was always going to different conferences and, and places with people that fully disagreed with him, but he, well, he still went with a good spirit, you know? Like L.A. Marzulli, like they may have thought differently, but at the end of the day, they were still friends. I mean, I don't know when it became it became not cool to agree, to, not agree to disagree. Or am I saying that right? Agree to disagree. That that yeah. ceased to exist at some point during my life. And and he was very much a, a practicer of, you know, I can agree with you or I can disagree with you and I could still be your friend, which I I respect. So. Yeah, it's a holdover from politically correct culture, right? Yeah. Where nowadays people don't know how to exist with somebody who doesn't fully align with their political, religious, or, you know, whatever beliefs, you know, and, and just having an environment where you can have a discourse with someone and come away still disagreeing, but learning from them is really beautiful. So, yep, let's keep on do agree that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Amen? Amen? He's the only way. And that it is by grace through faith. It's a free gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay. It's then a great place sense, to come together on. In unity. Okay. I consider you my brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything else is open for debate, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's open to discuss. Come, let us reason together, right? So, you know, things are going to be presented this weekend, and not all the speakers are going to agree. So it's up to you then to take what you are hearing and then process it and then go and search these things out to see if they be true, right? And as I start, well, today's, this first presentation, uh, I'm calling the Seed War, Deception, Disobedience, and Exile. There's a pattern. We're, we're often deceived, and because of this, because of, we are deceived, we disobey. And because we disobey, we end up getting exiled. And we'll talk more about that throughout this weekend. This is sort of a, a the presentations well that I'm doing, the three presentations mm -hmm. I'm doing this weekend are sort of a, a I'm cramming together information from several different um, presentations that I've done in the past. And I'm going to try to keep the, the overall, uh, this is kind of a weird thing going on here. I don't know what's up with that. 
but the, the, the background of the PowerPoint presentation basically tells the presentation from which I'm deriving the information, if that makes sense, because I have all the information back there. I'm condensing a lot of things. Um, I, this particular slide header is called the Genesis Revelation, how Yahuwah has revealed the end from the beginning. How many of you know that Isaiah says that God has declared the end from the beginning? You know, Amos 3.7 says that God doesn't do anything except that he tells his prophets first. Uh, I, I just wanted to make a comment here. Uh, I, I think that verse about declaring the end from the beginning is really interesting. Somebody once presented to me that what if the prophetic timeline of the Bible and of all history is more of a, a palindrome? And if, if you're not familiar with what a palindrome is, kind of like a mirrored image. So uh, it, it's kind of like things happen in this cyclical pattern but it's not like the end and then like the beginning and then it goes to the end it, it's more of like this really interesting mirrored image and there's some biblical support for uh prophecy and this concept of you'll know the end from the beginning playing out likened to a palindrome uh because there's several uh, psalm verses that are actually written in this chiastic structure um, it's, I, I'm getting really deep with these big words, but maybe somebody in the chat knows what I'm talking about, but knowing the end from the beginning, you know, what he's going to do. So I believe everything we need to know has been given to us. And if we want to understand the end times, we got to go back to the beginning times. Paul talks about the Torah and he says, these things happen to them to serve as examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you got to understand Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Because it's all laid out for us there. Now, as with all of my presentations, I usually begin so with true. the, yeah, the yeah. fact that three responses are typical of any, any size audience. So many divisive Whether it's, topics uh, you know, today. 20 people or 200 people or 1,000 people, you're going to have the people that say, hey, wow, that's interesting. Okay, cool. You know. Uh, you're going to say, Rob, you need to buy stock in tinfoil. You're crazy. You're a lunatic. <laughs> you know, you're out of your mind. And then there's going to be those who will, in fact, go out and search and see if these things be true. As I always say, do not believe a thing I say. John said the same thing. Look, I'm just a oh, student yeah. just like you are. You know, I happen to be standing up here, and I'm, I may be doing some teaching, but I don't consider myself a teacher. I consider myself a student with a lot of opinions <laughs> that I just happen to be vocal about. <laughs> uh, all right, but, you know, we are told to prove or test all things. Right, hold fast that which is good. So my prayer is that all of you will fall into category three. You will search and s these things out for yourself. Now, the seed war. I believe the, the seed war really begins right away. Right, God creates Adam from the dust. Right, He creates Eve. He pulls you know Eve from Adam's side. He places Adam and Eve in this garden, and it says in Genesis chapter two. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So there's the one and only commandment they have. They got one. You know, people are all upset about the, the 613 commandments of the Torah, right? Or the Ten Commandments, or, you know, the, the several hundred thousand commandments that we have in the laws of the United States of America. They have one commandment, and they blew it. <laughs> um, but part of the reason for their disobedience was because they were deceived right we see right there in Genesis chapter 3 
the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, doesn't that usually, isn't that the way it usually begins? Did God really say that? Ah, go ahead, you can do that, right? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Did God really say that? Lest you, were they allowed to touch it? Yeah. God never said anything that they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. But I, I wanted to say, I think it's interesting that the first commandment, right, was what people should and should not eat, right? Way back in the garden, it was like, don't eat from the fruit, right? Yep. And today, people have such an issue with the concept of like not eating pork, right? Mm -hmm. Um, which is just another commandment of thou shalt not eat, right? But I've heard, you know, growing up being Baptist background, you know, bacon is the number one like thing. Like I've heard pastors say, I couldn't worship a God that wouldn't let me eat bacon, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I know it's a hard pill to swallow though. You know, people grow up with that smell. I remember my dad too, waking me up to the smell of bacon, but the concept that Yah is the divine physician and tells us what's good for our bodies and what's bad is, is amazing. And, uh, we told a joke at the, uh, the comedy improv that we went to meet Eddie Bravo and Sam Tripoli at, uh, last week. And uh, it was that the WHO is the Illuminati and that doctors uh, being the profession that believes themselves to be basically godlike or they, you know, who has the God complex of like all the professions? Well, doctors usually. Mm -hmm. and, and the moment somebody stops praying and they go to the hospital to, you know, be healed and stuff, uh, it makes sense that somebody would like take the word of a doctor when he says, stop eating bacon, it's bad for your health. But they don't want to take the word of the Almighty when he you know, gives it to us in the scriptures. And, and, and it just demonstrates where people put their faith in. And, um, and you know, it's, it's not that I'm you know, heavy ragging on people that don't eat kosher, but there is a, a wisdom to it. There's a blessing uh, and, a, and a curse that he's trying to protect us from. And, and uh, you know, the first thing doctors will tell people is like, oh, don't. Don't eat the, the, you know, this and this and this. It's bad for your health. Um, and it's funny. It goes all the way back to the garden. You know, the very first commandment was what not to eat. <laughs> yep. I have a feeling that Adam probably was giving a little bit of extra. <laughs> Look, don't even go near the thing, honey. Stay away from that thing. Right? I Just look, we only got one commandment, right? So let's just don't even go near the thing. You know, so I have a feeling the reason why she's saying that is pro I'm, this is speculation. It's probably because Adam added a little bit to, <laughs> to, uh, to but but you know where's Adam here during this the first the first Talmud the first oral tradition um, was Adam well, saying tree, don't even touch it. The garden, God has said you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, oh, You're not gonna die, All right? God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I see three promises of the serpent right there. Do you see them? Promise of immortality. You're not going to die. Your eyes are going to be open. You have greater wisdom and understanding, right? And you shall be like God. You know what's crazy about that? They already had all three. Right? 
sin, death didn't come until sin, right? Sin brought death. So they're already immortal. Uh, having your eyes open, wisdom, under, wisdom, understanding, and that kind of, they were walking in the garden with God. Whatever they didn't know, they had the creator right there with them. They could ask them, right? And you shall be as like God. Well, they were made in the image and likeness of God right from the beginning, right? Three promises. The devil deceived them. Now, who, um, who, who was the first sinner? Adam, and, Adam or Eve? Well, Eve disobeyed first, but we are told that it was through Adam that sin entered the world. Adam knew so it was wrong. Wherefore, she was as deceived. by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Yeah, she screwed up. He had a chance to redeem the situation, though, didn't he? How would he have redeemed that situation? I don't know. It's speculation at this point. I don't know. But there are many times where we see, like in, throughout the Torah, that the husband has the power to, to annul various things that the, the woman does. So, you know, I don't know. We're not told what could have happened. All we know is that he followed suit, did the same thing she did, and then by him, sin entered the world. Now, how do we define sin? What is sin? That's right. That's also given for us in Scripture. First John chapter 3. For sin, for whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So they had one commandment in the garden. <laughs> that was the law. Don't eat from that tree. Well, they ate from the tree. That's why it's sin. They, they transgressed. Now, whenever there's disobedience, you end up with exile in some form. You know, whether it's a physical relocation or whether it's a distance from God or whatever, sin brings exile. We see in Genesis chapter 3, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. That's an act of mercy right there. Why? Why would I say that? Why were they exiled from the garden? Live forever in a, in a fallen state. Right, exactly. So they were, drove the man out and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed the, the first lightsaber there. <laughs> George Lucas didn't invent the lightsaber. We have uh, this cherubim with a flaming sword right there to keep them out. Man, that's so cool. It makes me wonder if there right now is a location where the garden is being guarded by a flaming sword. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe your, our chat can help us out. Um, do you guys know if there's some kind of biblical text or extra biblical text that says that the Garden of Eden has been taken like back to heaven or, or where the Garden of Eden is now? Um, I know the the association with the new Jerusalem being a type of the garden of Eden. Um, so is it, you know, above the firmament or how's that work? And, and where's this flaming sword, man, that, that would be, <laughs> that'd be cool. Uh, what if that's like Ex Excalibur, you know? Yeah. That'd be cool <laughs> like, to see. Yeah. The, the flaming sword, it's the ancient lightsaber. That's mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah, and chat, you know, if you guys have any thoughts, you know, let's be active over here. If you you guys have any things that stand out to you in this video, uh, post it over in the in the uh, live chat, and I'll bring it into the video, and we'll discuss. Uh, this 
header, the slide header right there, it's kind of cut off right there, but it's from the Yahua Triangle series that I did, uh, which is also all available online on YouTube. If you just want to watch the whole thing, it's on there. Um, in that teaching, and we don't have time to get into it really right here, but in that teaching, it is my firm belief that I believe the, that the Garden of Eden uh, is, was in the location we now call Israel. And specifically, the, the location of the two trees is Shechem. Shechem in the land of Israel. Don't have time to unpack that here. Ask me later if you're interested. But I believe that that was the Garden of Eden, and they were booted out of it. They booted to the east. Well, it's interesting if you read the book of Leviticus, it talks about if you're in that land, it's not the land of the Jews. It's not the land of Israel. It's the land of Yahuwah. It's the land of God. It's his land. He's the landlord. He has house rules. When I, I live in a two-bedroom apartment, when I got my apartment, I had to page after page of documents I had to read through and initial and sign. These are the regulations of living in my apartment complex. If I'm in violation of those, what do you think happens to me? I get evicted. <laughs> I get kicked out. I end up on the side of the road with all my furniture. Yeah, it looks like uh, Tim here mentioned it's not the garden. It was the tree of life that was taken. Okay, so uh, I guess this is the tree of life is what returns in the in the New Jerusalem coming down. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Tim, for clarifying. I wonder if the whole of the garden. Uh, like the tree of life was removed and the whole of the garden was just like abandoned or if it was preserved in some way. Um, interesting. But yeah, I guess it's the tree of life that that comes down in New Jerusalem. Yeah, thank you, Tim. You know, well, that's God's land. It's his, he's the landlord. It's, he's got house rules. If you violate those rules, Leviticus 18 says the land vomits you out. The lamb will vomit you out. Well, Adam and Eve were vomited. They were the first to be vomited out of that land, sent to the east. Thanks, Tyler. Good this comment. This is where I believe they ended up. And again, I don't have time to go into all this right here, but uh, I created this drawing actually back in 2009. It was, it was like a vision I felt like the Lord was giving me. And uh, so I created it, but I didn't really know entirely what it meant. I had some general ideas what it meant, but in 2014, he really caused me to dive in and go a lot deeper and to define what that means, and that's what the Yahuwah Triangle uh, teaching was all about. But essentially, I believe that they were in Shechem, that's where the two trees were, and they were booted out to the east. Now, this looks like a, kind of an angle right there, but it's just the way it looks on Google Earth. It's almost due... Almost looks like some people believe it's at the North Shechem Pole. Babylon. <laughs> I believe that that's where they were exiled to, exiled to Babylon. So after they kicked out of the garden, you know, they have... Oh, interesting point, Tim. He says the garden would have been washed away in the flood. Uh, yeah, that that's you know a good point. Um, that reminded me of a extra biblical element where uh, one of the uh, branch uh, like a all uh, what is it a grapevine that Noah ended up starting his vineyard that he ended up getting drunk on after they got off the ark was a vine from the Garden of Eden, and this is according to I think the Targumic accounts. Uh, the Palestinian Targum. So very interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Garden of Eden for sure would have been washed away in the flood. I was just thinking like, yes, the tree of life would have been taken and preserved, but was it like the entirety of the garden would have been taken and preserved or just the tree or what? But yeah, that's a good point. Um, if, if it was just the tree taken, it would have been destroyed in the flood. Um, here we see the garden was withdrawn from the earth and now is in the third firmament of heaven. 
Yeah. So like, was, was it just like a giant crater of like garden was lifted up? You know, like this is what I'm getting at, but interesting topic here. Two sons, right? Cain and Abel. And next thing we see, Cain kills Abel. So the, the, the bad one kills the good one, right? Then eventually they have another son, Seth, right? Now, if you had children, and, you know, if you had two sons and one of them kills the other and you have another son, do you think you might just be a little protective of that third child? I think they were extremely protective of, of Seth, in my opinion. So we turn the page. The devil's got sort of a plan B, if you will, or maybe plan C in this case. And it's what I call the Genesis 6 experiment. Now, when you read Genesis 6, it talks about the sons of God came unto the daughters of men. The question then becomes, are we talking about the sons of God, as the text says, or are we talking about the sons of Seth, as seminarian people say? <laughs> well, the text says sons of God. And there is absolutely nothing in Genesis 6 which in any way refers to Seth or Cain or their offspring. Rather, the phrase sons of God is a reference applied to angels, just as it was in the book of Job, which incidentally... Hey, uh, Jeremiah, I just wanted to point this one out to you. Uh, what your dad's talking about here, about the sons of Seth versus the sons of God, mm -hmm. is a very popular argument that has been uh, kind of developed in seminaries for many years. Uh, it's kind of the modern Christian answer to uh, the whole, you know, uh, Smithsonian cover-up of giants ever existing, right? Yep. And they want to use the argument that it was just regular people that created the Nephilim and that the sons of Seth married the daughters of Cain or, you know, like it's a, it, it's really, you know, kind of highly, highly debated, highly. De well, actually in the seminary circles, it's pretty much settled science nowadays. Like for them, at least like if you come presenting like, Oh, angels came down and mated with humans. They're like, no, you know, almost to the level of blasphemy. You know, you're, you're making the Bible a, a mythological book, but they don't realize that it's an account that's supported in so many different cultures. Uh, this is the very thing that we saw uh, in that comedy show that Sam Tripoli was bringing oh, up. Yeah. Book of Enoch. And, Man, that and surprised the, me to hear Sam talk about the Nephilim. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I would love to discuss the Book of Enoch with him. Uh, I don't think he's really studied it much, but uh, he said he was interested in talking about it sometime. But. Anyways, I, I just wanted to point that out to you because if you ever talk to just a mainstream Christian pastor, generally they are proponents of the Sethite theory, and it really does uh, kind of uh, emasculate the whole narrative of why the archons and all this are in all these different cultures. Because if it truly was just the sons of Seth, then why is this narrative consistent in so many different religions and faiths all talking about these entities coming down, getting wives, creating the, the little G gods. Um, it's a really important topic to, to understand that the ancient church fathers all agreed for the most part that it was absolutely true uh, that Nephilim giants came from fallen angels and not from this new seminary kind of theology uh, that is, you know, only a couple hundred years old, uh, the Sethite theory, at least. It predates the book of Genesis. We see in, the, in Job chapter 38, during the creation account, we see the morning stars saying together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Simple question. Were the alleged good sons of Seth there at the time of creation? No. 
So Genesis has to be understood in, in, in terms of what, what Moses understood at that time. And Job predates Genesis. The phrase sons of God was a reference to angels, not the good sons of Seth. If we were to extend our research a little bit into what I call the synchronized, biblically endorsed, extra-biblical texts uh, of Enoch, Joshua, and Jubilees, I refer to these books that way because they are synchronized in, this, in the sense that they tell the same story in the same chronological order of events that we find in the book of Genesis. I call them... Just a little bit of history here. Uh, the book of Enoch is contained in the oldest Bible compilation that exists, which is the Ethiopian uh christian orthodox bible uh it's like 2000 years old the book of jasher text that we have today is kind of from a manuscript from the 1800s that's supposedly from a an older greek manuscript so there's a lot more contention about the book of jasher uh if you ever check out the book of jasher it's, it reads like a superhero novel cool. um but i will say that the book of jasher is like a a glove that aligns with the Targum uh, kind of translations like the Palestinian Targum and um, uh, the Pseudo Jonathan. Uh, so th they have a lot of consistent uh, points and, and little extra tidbits that are paralleled. So um, the Book of Jubilees, uh, there were like over a dozen copies found in the Dead Sea Caves. So that one's uh, kind of the history on that. So uh, they did find the Book of Enoch in the Dead Sea Caves. Um, supposedly there's a full Aramaic version that some collector has hidden uh we need to start a protest jeremiah uh release the book of enoch aramaic translation because <laughs> you know for the scholars out there it would be such a huge deal if the full aramaic version and not just the fragments that have been put out but the full aramaic copy was released because um it, it would show whether or not it lines up with the ethiopian uh text it would so if it lines up with the, the Greek uh, translation that we got from a gentleman named uh, R.H. Uh, uh, what, what, what is it? Uh, R.H. Uh, spacing on the. the uh, um, R.H. Charles. Hold on. I don't, I have Charles. No I know that when we were in Israel, we. Uh, apparently the, saw where they were discovered the dead sea scrolls it's pretty interesting yes rh charles yeah i knew i knew it was right rh charles i was slipping on his name but anyways yeah these are these texts are uh, very interesting and, and if the book of enoch is legitimate and it is the one passed down through the flood by noah Man, that's the oldest book in the world right there. Biblically endorsed because the authors of Scripture are constantly quoting from these guys, making references that can only be found in these books. You know, like Paul's talking, I think it was to Timothy, and he's talking about Janus and Jambres, the two individuals that opposed Moses and Pharaoh's court. Well, if you read the Torah, the names of the Pharaoh, of the magicians are not given. We have no idea who they are. So how did Paul know Janus and Jambres? Well, he knew because Joshua tells you that's the name of the two guys that opposed uh, Moses. So... It's evident also learned there's lots they're the of sons of Balaam, the throughout false the prophet guy. The authors of canonized text referred to these books constantly. And Jude, you know, cut and paste a paragraph out of uh, Enoch into his little book, right? Like so, second cousins from it, Jacob, too. Do you believe too? the Bible really is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by men? I do. So then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these guys were authorized to quote from these books. That feels like an endorsement. 
that's a pretty good endorsement. I mean, I, can you imagine? I just think, wow, man, how cool would it be if somebody starts writing scripture right now, it's divinely inspired scripture, and they quote from one of my books? <laughs> That'd be good for some sales. You know, that's an endorsement of these texts. And, of course, extra biblical because they're not currently found within the covers of our canonized text. Okay, that's why I refer to them that way. However, uh, my position on these books is that I view the, the I'm happy with the 66 books. I'm, you know, it's great, wonderful. That's my touchstone. Anything else that I'm going to look at or read has to agree with that. If it disagrees in any way, I toss that information out. If it agrees, okay, great, then it's added information. All right? That's just the way that I view those books. When you look into those books regarding Genesis 6 and what I call the Genesis 6 experiment, we have the sons of God in Genesis 6, 1 and 2, syncing up to the exact same chapter and verse. You have 1 Enoch chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, says the angels, point blank, the children of heaven, and Jubilees says the angels of God. So right there, I mean, it clears all any question you might have up right there. And if you might think of these other books also as commentary, ancient commentary. Now, I believe Enoch predates even the Torah. Uh, but Joshua and Jubilees, Joshua, I believe, was contemporary with the Torah because it's quoted in the book of Joshua, where it says, is it not written in the book of Joshua that Joshua commanded the sun to stand still? Well, for, for Joshua to make that statement, that means Joshua had to have already been written, you know, right? Contemporary with the time of the Torah, I, I believe. Jubilees, I believe, shows up way later, about you know, 300 B.C., somewhere thereabouts. All right, but these guys are all, uh, you know, if you look at, like, Joshua and Jubilees, as commentary, they clearly understood that we're talking about angels here, at least in Jubilees. Uh, you look at some of the quote-unquote early church fathers, you'll see people like Philo uh, in 50 AD talking about the angels coming down with mortal women. And Philo says Moses stylized uh, you know, he, the angels as the sons of God. Philo writing in 50 AD. Clement talks about the angels becoming in every way like humans, and they partook in human lust, came together, a disciple of Peter. Uh, of course, Josephus comes right out and tells you in Antiquity of the Jews, Book 1, Chapter 3, for many angels of God accompanied with women. He goes on to say, hey, we even still have the bones of these, these offspring. And these things were so huge. I mean, they have them on display over here. Here's, the... Here's another interesting one, Jeremiah. Uh, the primordial, like, OG vampire is the fallen angels. And uh, I learned this in the documentary I worked on when I was working with Now You See TV is that uh, fallen angels, uh, they come down as flesh and bone. They don't have blood. And to interact with mankind, to procreate even, they require uh, life or blood. And we see this kind of supported that, um, you know, Yahushua, when, when he was given the glorified body, he didn't have blood. He just, you know, was flesh and bone. Um, and then we see like the the entities that show up and meet with Abraham and interact throughout the Old Testament. They have physical bodies, but they're angels kind of in disguise. And so the concept would be fallen angels in order to interact required blood offerings. And that's where we have all the blood sacrifices and such um, throughout all these ancient cultures. And so the OG original vampire was a fallen angel. Uh, so like your, your original Dracula was, you know, shimyaza or whatever falling from heaven being like i need a i need some of your blood to make advantage to suck your blood <laughs> yeah i need to suck your blood so mm -hmm. yeah that, that i always thought that was a an interesting connection with the 
the use of blood offerings and such in all these ancient cultures, like even the Aztec and the Maya, like, you, you know, how they go into the, you know, the whole blood sacrifice offering thing. Uh, perhaps, you know, it was how they appeased these fallen entities that wanted to interact with them, you know, in a, in a more, you know, intimate way. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The Nephilim display clause, you know, <laughs> over here display. So what I think we have going on is a whisper down the lane. You ever play that game? Whisper down the line. You know, you tell one person something by the time it gets to the end, it's totally different. Congrats, I Savage Warrior. Have here is in the beginning. The Truth Seekers Wanted podcast out now. Unanimous agreement until you get Very to cool. about 160 AD when the bogus Sethite theory starts to originate. Prior to that, everybody understood that we're talking about angels mating with women in Genesis chapter 6. You, if you imagine each of these people as representing a 1,000 years, 6,000 years later we get to today, and now you go to seminary, and we heard that the sons of Seth mated with Cain's daughters. The story has changed over time. So Thanks, what happened during the Genesis 6 experiment? Great to have you along. Uh, a gentleman well, by always. the name of David Flynn. Uh, realized something was looking at like a, a map with the longitude and latitude lines on it that the location of Mount Hermon which is where they came down in Genesis 6 was 33.33 degrees north by 33.33 degrees east from the Paris prime meridian which was the prime meridian before they changed, changed it to Greenwich uh, so that's very interesting he also noticed that it was 2012 nautical miles uh, to the Paris prime meridian from that location and also 2012 nautical miles to the equator all very interesting. That caused a lot of people, a lot of different researchers to speculate. You know, when everybody was talking about December 21st, 2012, you know, that was the, the Aztec calendar stone, the Mayan calendar and all that. That was just some of the, th you know, this information right there is one of those things that made people go, hmm, you know, could something happen then? A lot of speculation, of course, taking place. Doing good, now, Savage Warrior. Thanks for asking. We're visiting today. family down in San That's Antonio right now. That's where we see in Genesis 6, 4. The Nephilim were in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. This teaching's from my Archon Invasion series. Uh, who or what is an Archon? It's just the Greek word. Uh, the word means prince, you know, right here. In Ephesians 2 2, where it talks about the according to the prince of the power of the air. The Greek word archon just simply means a chief, a ruler, prince, leader, command, somebody in a position of authority. There's nothing special about it. Today, however, in various uh, New Age and uh, occult circles and stuff like that, archon has taken on sort of a whole. Ancient other aliens. Meaning, but <laughs> at its root, it's just simply somebody in a position of authority, leadership. And we read about 20 archons that were the leaders of the 200 watcher-class angels that uh, sinned with the daughters of men. And uh, they give you the names in First Enoch chapter 6. Hey, if you guys uh, like the Book of Enoch and uh, haven't heard my audio drama yet, go check out uh, the Book of Enoch audio drama by Jake Grant over my YouTube channel. It'll uh, This particular portion he's reading through here is, uh, I have a bunch of really cool different voices doing the different angels and stuff. I think you guys would like it if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah, next time you do a, a, a audio drama, let me let me do some voices, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I want to do some big projects. I'm finishing uh, the book of Deuteronomy right now. And once that's done, I'm going to be freed up to do some really cool projects. So I'd love to get some like some you have some great voices, Jeremiah. So that'd be really cool. We won't even talk about the puppets when you were here, but. 
<laughs> get a whole team. Hey, you should go get the puppet and make some puppet commentary while we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> says that they came to the 200 watcher class angels came down in the days of Jared uh, on Mount Hermon. And we get a bunch of names right here in Enoch chapter six. Those would be the archons. Those would be the leaders of the 200. Yes. Well, I mean, I think it's generally assumed that divine beings are, you're either talking about God or his created angels that are in that realm with him. I got to, I got to tell that joke that that we heard at the show, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Tripoli told this joke, um, about how the, the women who brought home the fallen angel boyfriend, <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it, it was so funny. Uh, it was like. Hi, Dad. Uh, I brought home my new boyfriend, and uh, he's a fallen angel, you know, and his yeah. name is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a like <laughs> like a horror scream was the name of the fallen angel. It was like the funny. That was one of the first angel. times I saw you like break down with laughter. It was. Yeah, awesome. that was so that was it was a good, good joke, man. I, right. I, I really enjoyed that. But yeah. <laughs> Hi, Dad. My boyfriend, the fallen angel, here's here. His ah. name is. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I don't, man. I don't know that there would be any other class that we would well, consider. Well, I don't know. Like, if you listen to Michael Heiser's teaching on that, yeah. and he, he says it's not angels, per se. That but watchers that, are not angels? Yeah. No, that the, Nephil, that the, the sons of God in that verse were gods and separate from angels. Yeah, so, I. I'm familiar with, with some of his stuff. My take on it is that there are different classes of angels. You know, if you want to go with the divine council class, you know, they have a certain role. You have the messenger class angels. You have the watcher class angels, which would be these guys right here. You have the cherubim class of angels. You have the seraphim class of angels. You have the archangel class of angels. So the, the, the heavenly army class. You know, so there are obviously different classes of angels, but I think we're still talking about angels. That would be my, my take on it. And when, it, when it's talking about the 200 watcher class angels and the, and the archon leaders of them, these are the ones that Peter and Jude are referring to as the angels that sinned. The people who teach both in the Torah community as well as in standard Christianity coming from seminary that the sons of God are the sons of Seth, they got a big problem with, with Peter and Jude. Because Peter and Jude refer to angels that sinned and that were punished and, and bound in chains and put in Tartarus. You cannot say that these are the one-third of the angels that, that fell with Lucifer. You can't say that because those angels are still out and about. They're the principalities and powers of spiritual wickedness in high places that we wrestle with. And the devil goes about as a roaring lion, right, seeking whom he, he may devour. So the devil and his one-third are still out and about. So that then begs the question, who are the people who are, who are the angels that are bound up in chains and put in Tartarus? So there's, they have no answer for that if you go the route of this sons of seth makes perfect sense if you know what, yeah. <laughs> what the sons of god were angels. doesn't make These sense if it's just regular they, they people judged, I mean, found and buried yep. for 70 generations keep that number in mind there's got to be some big chains I'm down there person, on those so like bad boys timelines <laughs> and things like that and when i was looking through all this research and trying to figure out the timeline of when all these things took place uh, i came to the conclusion that the days of jared the genesis 6 experiment took place in roughly 3550 bc 
Uh, and then when you read through the book of Enoch, it says that the, the first generation Nephilim would only live for 500 years. And within those 500 years, they were to kill each other off in a massive civil war that the Greeks later stylized in what became known as the Clash of the Titans. See the movies and stuff in the Clash of the Titans? So that happened, you know, if you go forward 500 years from 3550 B.C., you end up right around the 3000 B.C. time frame, where a whole lot of other interesting things start to show up, like the Aztec calendar stone shows up. I know it says Mayan calendar, but it's really the Aztec calendar stone, 3114 B.C. Shortly thereafter that showed up, uh, we have the death of Adam, the first human dies. Then we have the end of the first generation Nephilim, the end of the Clash of the Titans, then we find that the watchers, the parents of these guys, were judged, bound, and buried for 70 years. Hey, generations. Chad, how big do you think Nephilim Enoch got? What's your size and then limit? This time of peace. What are your About thoughts, y'all? 70 years, you have this time of peace, and Noah's born, and his daddy names him Rest. You know, Rest, because they were in a time of peace. It was after the Clash of the Titans. And then from that point on, there is no further written documentation of any other incursion of angels mating with women. I know there are a lot of other speakers out there that talk about the Nephilim, and pretty much all of them believe that angels came back and mated with women again based on absolutely zero textual evidence, including Genesis 6-4. Genesis 6-4 does not support a multiple incursion. And part of the reason why I do not believe the angels ever came back and did it again is because of God's severe judgment feet tall. on the ones who did it yeah, the first that's time. A, that's a skyscraper. The judgment was wow. extremely <laughs> severe. I'm not going to take the time to read all this right here, but this is the passage, 1 Enoch chapter 10, verses 9 through 12, that said part of the, the watcher's severe judgment was to watch their own children kill each other off. Any parents here? Raise your hand. How many of you parents would love to see your kids massacre each other? I got three cats. Oh, that'd be horrible. Nobody. He's like, are they teenagers? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know. Um, yeah, but no, no parent that, that really loves their children would want to see that. And we see that the watchers did love their children because the text refers to them as their beloved ones. So part of their severe judgment was to watch their own children kill each other off. Then they were judged, bound and buried, bound in chains and put in Tartarus and buried under the sands of the earth and whatnot for 70 years. So uh, I had this shared with me one time about how the fallen angels had to watch their children in the Clash of the Titans kill each other off. Why is it that in response to that, one of the things that they did was they taught mankind all of these secret knowledge type you know, things like how to work metal, uh, how to you know, perform different types of sorcery and witchcraft and interpret the, the heavens. And and uh, I heard it said that the angels were almost getting back at mankind because they were told they had to watch their children kill each other off, right? They then teach mankind how to like make weapons of warfare so that mankind has to then watch their children kill each other off. So it's almost like a, uh, you know, a, one of the interesting ways that the fallen angels got back at mankind, so that we had to, like, participate in the same type of punishment, watching our children war and, you know, create death and mayhem and calamity and stuff. So uh, I always thought that was interesting how they kind of gave that secret forbidden knowledge, and it reminds me of today's world, Jeremiah, like. Where, you know, where are the Nazis coming up with, you know, the, the early stages of these killing machines, you know, nuclear warfare, whatnot? Uh, who, who, who explained, you know, to somebody in their dreams how to create a machine gun, right? Is it mm -hmm. all just human ingenuity 
or is the spirit of like uh, revelation and um, like having a muse or whatever uh, associated with fallen angels giving forbidden knowledge or, or secret knowledge? Some of it's not forbidden because I think all knowledge can be used for good and evil, right? And it's the propensity of mankind to then take it and run with it either direction. So perhaps it's not forbidden knowledge. It's more secret knowledge that we weren't mature enough yet to have access to. You know what I mean? Yep. But yeah, it's how the fallen angels got back at us for having to watch their children kill each other. Yep. Generations. And all that's right there in uh, First Enoch chapter 10. And if you go a little bit further in the book of Enoch, while the judgment well, is taking foot place, post-flood giants. The mighty archangel himself. I mean, next to the Godhead, there's no one tougher than Michael. He takes out Lucifer, right? Later. He's the big tough guy. Michael, the toughest of the toughest, is looking at the judgment that's taking place there. And I'm going to paraphrase what you see up there. He's like, dude, no one's going to do that again. Yeah, it says the giants tore their bodies I mean, apart when he, they were Michael born. Michael is trembling um, in fear. Or it could be the OG, uh, the, right or, the says, origins Carl, the of the cesarean C-section thing. Michael says, it's not going to happen again. That's so terrible. In my uh, Mount Hermon Roswell teaching, I give a, uh, several other reasons why yep. I do not believe there was any other incursion. Of course, the judge was the C-section, maybe. There's no confirming scriptures. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm an F1. says you need two to three witnesses to establish truth. <laughs> no, no. So you don't go basing any doctrine or idea on one text. Much more witness. There's no confirmed terrible C section back then when you have a giant oh, yeah. growing up. Shaquille O'Neal, baby. Could you imagine? begins to drop dramatically. The, if you read the text, it talked about the first generation. They got as tall as uh, 3,000 L's, which Dr. A. Nyland says was 300 cubits, which translated into feet, about 450 feet. <laughs> Wow. Now, we can't conceive of a person 450 feet tall, which is interesting because that's the same dimension as the length of the ark. <laughs> uh, yeah, Enoch says uh, the, the wives of the Watchers became sirens. In fact, if you watch some of these movies that come out, which like is the, the, the origin of mermaids, they bring that's back where mermaids chronos, come from. They depict and mermans. Don't forget giant. the mermans. You know, they understood it. They were huge. But in the post-flood world, the tallest ones we read about are as tall as cedar trees. Now, that's still massively huge. Uh, a modest cedar tree is 35 feet tall. The, this, the cedars of Lebanon got to 150 heard, feet tall. I've heard it said that that's the ancients were much taller, but than 450 I'm not sure. So, and by the time you that's get the Goliath, uh, Ron Wyatt's like position is that Noah and his family were so all giants. Size dropped dramatically. Adam and them There's were no big. explanation from that from the multiple incursion people. Um, and the world should have become com completely corrupted five times over. In the 1,200 years... It took place from the days of Jared leading up to the flood. It said the earth, all flesh had become corrupted. The whole world became corrupted in 1,200 years. Now, I was in the Army for six and a half years, uh, you know, and being in the military, if I looked at this as sort of a, as a military uh, uh, tactician, if, if I was the commander of the fallen ones, let's say I'm Satan, and 200 of my guys were able to corrupt the whole world in 1,200 years, what do you think I'm going to do? 400. Let's go. You know, let's get this over with. Let's just bring everybody down there. They've had 5,000 years to repeat what they did. Why are we still here <laughs> with that kind of successful campaign? No. So I, I talk about that more. And why science instead of sex? That, that gets into the whole alien abduction routine. Uh, I don't have time to cover that here. 
Genesis 6-4 itself, I maintain, doesn't even support the idea of multiple incarnations. So just read the text. It says, the Nephilim were in the earth in those days. What days? Well, if you continue reading in all the other supporting texts, the days of Jared. And also after that, when is that? The days of Jared. When the sons of God, who are the angels, came unto the daughters of men, when? In the days of Jared. And they bare children to them. The same who were born in the days of Jared were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The word old comes from the Hebrew word olam, which is translated very often about 100 plus times as forever and or everlasting. So nothing about Genesis 6-4 even remotely supports the idea that we're talking about angels coming back again after the flood. Um, so I, after I'm looking at this text and realize after the first incursion, 3550 BC, Roman law, Caesarean, years later, those childbirth, that's dead. crazy. Well, we still got you know, another 700 years or so to go to get to the flood. I realized that there was actually a pre-flood return of the Nephilim, but didn't come about as a result of angels mating with women. When you take the ancient texts and you synchronize them together, again, I don't have time to go through all this. You can see it on the board. Um, the text in black is the Genesis text, and the text in red is the supporting text. You see the breakdown of events, how everything took place, what happened when, and we see in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, that Noah was genetically pure. Now, his wife, according to the extra-biblical text, Possibly was an albino. of Enoch. So we know Enoch was a good guy, right? He was so righteous, God took him, right? So good pick for a wife, for Noah. So if Noah and his wife are genetically pure, it stands to reason then that his sons, his three sons are pure too, right? Everybody with me? No mention of angels. Noah, his wife, and his three sons are pure. Who's left? That's all you have left. Occam's razor, right? When you have competing ideas, the one that requires the least amount of assumptions, probably the right one. Well, and the wives don't even show up until uh, verse 18. Verse, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 says, All flesh became corrupted. How much is all? With the exception of those who are genetically pure in the verses prior, right? Those are singled out. These guys are pure. Wives aren't mentioned until verse 18. Quick quiz. Does 18 become before or after 12? After. Right. Okay. So I want to unpack Genesis 6.12 because it says that all flesh should become corrupted. Well, the extra-biblical text of Joshua goes into a whole lot more detail and tells you that how they became corrupted is it began to blend species together. They began to blend animals and plants and reptiles and fish and birds and peoples. It, the corruption of all flesh came as a result not of angels mating with women, but as a result of blending species. Well, guess what we're doing today? Blending species. Ah, now, Yeshua said in Matthew 24, 37, GMO. the last would be like the days of Noah, not the days of Jared. The days of Jared were angels mating with women. The days of Noah, especially specifically the last 120 years leading up to the flood, were all about genetic modification. Also confirmed yeah. in Jubilee 7:24, And this is a recap. This is after now the flood. Now we got Noah's mRNA. Kind of a recap of what happened that led to the flood. Delivery mechanisms. Women, all that stuff. Yep. Making us all GMOs. This, the after this is in a pre-flood context. The after this of Jubilee 7:24 is the after that of Genesis 6:4. They sinned against the beasts and the birds and all that moveth and walketh on the earth. And much blood was shed on the earth. And every imagination and desire of men imagined vanity and evil continually. It became the violence That's interesting, was the Serge. Thanks for sharing. Of the blending of species. I'll talk a little bit more about that. Taking that diagram that I had up there earlier and expanding it a little bit uh, to the last 120 years leading up to the flood. That's when the, what I call the end. Also, after that, 
Latter Day Crows might have grown larger, more oxygen. Part of what uh, what I'm looking at there is, I believe, defined for us in Genesis 6-3. Genesis 6-3 talks about God saying that my spirit's no longer going to dwell with you. For man is flesh and he has 120 years, right? Well, a lot of people take the 120-year thing there in Genesis 6-3 and spin it off into jubilees and all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, 120 jubilees would be 6,000 years. That's cool. But that has nothing to do with Genesis 6-3. Genesis 6-3 is not talking about jubilees. It's talking about, hey, if you guys don't knock off, if you don't knock it off, this activity that you're doing, a blending species and genetically modifying all the kinds that I set apart and said everything must reproduce after what? It's own kind. If you guys don't knock it off, you're, you're messing up my house. He created us to be what? The temple of what? The Holy Ghost. He created us in the image and likeness of himself. He created a like body for him to inhabit. But if you start blending species into your body and jacking up your house, he's, like, he's saying, hey, you better knock it off. I'm not going to be able to hang out with you anymore because you're not looking like the image and likeness that I created you to be. That's what's going on right there. I got no wonder they pushed that was a medical experiment the past few years, man. They're corrupting the image. With man. Okay. Uh, but I think we're, we're talking about the dinosaurs that God created. I believe we're talking about the uh, herbivore-class dinosaurs. You know, and then they started blending species together, and I think we ended up with you know, Velociraptor and T-Rex and stuff like that. While I was kind of formulating all these theories in my head, I had these two books sitting on my desk arranged in the order that you see up there on the screen. Doug Hamp's book on the left, Corrupting the Image, and Tom Anita Horn's book, Forbidden Gates on the right. Just both of them sit on the desk, and I'm like, wow, is that the formula? Is the formula when you corrupt the image that God originally created and the like kinds that he originally created and called good, you start corrupting that, does it open up forbidden gates that bring about the creation oh, of yeah. I believe, yes. Forbidden exactly gates. What happens. And if you look at the word... No, one, no wonder so many people are demon-possessed now, man. The means to fall, <laughs> or the fallen ones. Well, that's true. It's one of the definitions. But there's a bunch of other definitions for the same word, like to be judged. And I think when you start messing around with God's stuff, you're going to get judged. You know, that's what's going to happen. Basically, I define Nephilim as that which is... Hello, near. The original Thanks for joining us. ...or the kind that God created. And again, while I always think about these things, the movie Spider-Man came Shabbat out. Shabbat shalom. And it was the movie, uh, the, the Spider-Man movie, where uh, his, his enemy was the lizard. And if you've seen the movie, the, 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 the scientist, he was a good guy. He was missing part of his arm. You know, he, he lost it in, in combat. And uh, he decided, you know, what is the code that allows you to chop off the tail of a lizard and it grows back? What's the regeneration code? So he starts cutting the legs off of mice and rats and stuff like that. And tinkering with the DNA until finally he gets a combination that works and then one of the mice grows its leg back and he's like, ah, I figured it out, Eureka, right? So he injects himself with the same formula and his arm grows back. That's awesome. But he had an unfortunate side effect in that he became a giant lizard man that had only evil continually in his heart and mind for the rest of the movie. I'm like, man, Hollywood gets it. You know, the church is still fighting about the Sethite theory, but... They're showing a guy who's a normal, good guy who starts blending himself with other DNA. Just look at anacondas and in the, the Amazon. The result was having growing, growing. evil continually yep. in his heart and mind, in addition to becoming a giant lizard man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what was taking place. And so then that brings us to the post-flood return of the Nephilim. Of course, we had the flood take place, you know, and, and then after the flood, the giants are there right away. 
You know, so whether you believe what I'm talking about or you believe the angels came down and made it with women, the net result is exactly the same. You still have giants after the flood. Either way, the net result is exactly the same. Uh, but I think the smoking gun that obliterates the whole idea of multiple incursions is the same guy, Moses, who wrote Genesis 6, also wrote the rest of the book and the rest of the Torah. And he wrote in Genesis chapter 9, just three chapters later, verse 18 and 19, he said, The sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Why did he just insert that there? Oh, no, by the way, Ham is the father of Canaan. Who are the Israelites always having to deal with in the land? The Canaanites. Who were the ones that they were consistently told to utterly destroy? Kill the women, kill the children, kill the animals, wipe out everything. Don't even eat the food until the third or fourth generation of produce. Canaanites. Ham is the father of Canaan. <laughs> Not an angel. Right there. And if you still didn't get it, verse 19, it says, These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole world overspread. Other translations say populated. The whole earth was populated by these three guys. No mention of angels anywhere in the picture. So when you look at the breakdown of, the, of their offspring, Ham, by far, has some very interesting kids. Uh, there are many giants in the offspring of Canaan, obviously the Canaanites we talk about. There's at least one in Mitzrayim's line, uh, that being Kaftor. None that I could find and put, uh, and one in Cush, but I don't believe he was born that way. I believe he did something to modify himself and became that way, and that would be Nimrod. Uh, the Amorites are mentioned over 80 times in your Bible. Amorites are described by the book of Amos as being as tall as cedar trees. They come from Canaan, son of Ham, no mention of angels. And the Philistines are mentioned over 200 times, and they come from Kaftor, son of Mitzram, son of Ham, no mention of angels anywhere. Uh, so, and we know of at least a few famous Philistines, right? Goliath and his brothers. Yeah. So clearly something's going on there. There's no giants anywhere in the line of Shem that I could find anyway. That's a good thing. Who come from Shem? Yeshua comes from Shem. Right. So he's, that line's pure. And there, yeah, right. Son of man. Pure. Genetically pure. Um, and there's some in Japheth. Now, you won't get this in Scripture. You won't find this information in Scripture. If you look through history, however, just do a Google search on Gog and Magog plus giant. And you'll see that all throughout history, many different cultures understood that Gog and Magog were giants. In fact, every year to this day, they still have a parade. It still takes place even today where they march these two giant statues through the streets of the UK. Sure. It's called the Lord Mayor Parade. The Lord Mayor Parade was created, was founded by King John Lackland, the signer of the Magna Carta, who, by the way, all of our presidents just so happen to be related to. <laughs> what a coincidence. Except maybe Trump. coincidence, right? I mean, what would the statistical odds be if we have presidents of the people, for the people, by the people, like we are all taught and brainwashed to believe, that they would all be related, not just to each other, but to the guy who created the Nephilim parade that they still have every year. Some people believe that this uh, war over in Israel is the kind of the beginnings of what will be the Gog and Magog war. And I believe it is that Gog is identified as the king of Magog. Um, and so I, it, it kind of can be confusing because it's like the Gog-Magog war. Is it yeah. Gog versus Magog, or you know, is it one and the same? But um, it does break it down that Gog is the king over Magog. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Um, but some people believe that it's like Russia area. Um, hmm. That's more of your traditional kind of Christian eschatological belief, and that that is 
the war that's coming down on Israel, and perhaps we're seeing the very beginning of it right now over in the Middle East. Do, do you think Mardi oh, Gras has anything to do with it? Uh, Mardi Gras? <laughs> yeah, kind of like I that. Didn't... what they were doing, uh, the little parade thing. I mean, Mardi Gras is really weird. Oh, yeah. I I don't know. I'll have to look up um, the origins of Mardi Gras. I, sh- I, I should know more about it. I was born on Mardi Gras uh, back in uh, February 95. I was uh, born on Mardi Gras. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't I don't really know much history of other than sequins and beaded they, necklaces they wear masks. with scantily really clad weird. women. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. In fact, there's a new, uh, I think it's a Matt Damon movie coming out. It's called The Wall. Where so weird at least for the previews, beard. it looked very interesting. It's like, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting something. They don't really show what it is. And like this big hand comes and starts yanking people off the wall and stuff like that. I mean, it, I don't know what the movie is going to be about, but it looks like they understand this. Sorry, I skipped around the video on accident. He's talking about how the Great Wall of China might have been meant to keep giant people out. If you're trying to keep out the hordes of Gog and Magog, on the other hand, well, that makes a lot more sense. In fact, there was a Geico commercial that actually showed that. You ever see the Geico commercial? They had these like Mongolian looking guys that come up on the Great Wall of China. It's like this tall. And they're looking at it like, "Mm, what do we do? (laughs) And the other guy looks at him, he's just steps over and <laughs> walking on. I'm like, even Geico gets it, you know? When I was, when I was uh, at the Great Wall of China, I found out that one of the original names for the Great Wall of China was called the Ramparts of Magog. The Ramparts of Gog and Magog. So J-Path apparently had some giants in his line as well. When you look at the, uh, the lineage specifically of Ham in Genesis chapter 10, verses 6 through 20, and you get one of those uh, books, that, there's a really good book called the, A Dictionary of Scripture Proper Names by J.B. Jackson. The whole book is just all the names in the Bible and the corresponding meaning of the There are 200 people watching, man. All right, if you look up the names... Thank you for joining, everyone. In, in Ham's lineage, Special Jackson, 70th episode. Look at, look at the Extravaganza. All right. Live, uh, live. Now, parents, you guys raised your hands earlier. What would possess you to turn to your spouse Ooh, after you just have your, your newborn baby and say, Swine could be a genetic manipulation. Think, honey, <laughs> or terror. To, to, or blades. He's the appetite you know, of giants. Why would you name your kid something like that unless there's something clearly wrong with that kid? Now, you may name your teenager terror later, <laughs> but <laughs> babies. <laughs> Clearly, something's going on with these kids. Well, yeah, I wonder if uh, Kush came out all like deformed and stuff. You know, uh, some people uh, believe that Ham, uh, you know, his process of seeing the nakedness of Noah was actually an incestuous act with Noah's uh, wife, which was. Uh, according to extra biblical texts, not the mother of Ham, but the mother of uh, Shem and Japheth. But um, perhaps he, the first inbred baby was uh, Ham's son there. <laughs> yeah. All of the post-flood Nephilim traced back to these guys. These are the ones that they're told to utterly destroy. Uh, and we have scriptures such as Deuteronomy twenty seventeen to look at, to point to for what I just said. It says, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Well, what do you know? Those are the same people that show up in Genesis chapter 10, verses 15 through 18, with no mention of angels anywhere. What do you know? 
And again, Genesis 9 says, Ham's the father of Canaan. These guys populated the whole world. In the post-flood world, this is a conservative scale, I think. Um, you know, you have a normal six-foot-tall person on the left here. Goliath is somewhere between 9 and 12 feet tall, depending on who you read, regarding the cubit and all that. Uh, Bashan is typically understood to be somewhere between 15 and 18 feet tall. And the Anakim, the early Canaanites that made the Hebrew spies feel like grasshoppers, I believe are in the 24 to 36 foot realm being conservative. Again, cedar trees, the cedars of Lebanon are 150 feet tall. So when they're saying they're as tall as the cedars, were they referring to the cedars of Lebanon? I don't know, but just going erring on the small side, that's what you're looking at in the post-flood world. And when you understand that, I think we have to rethink some of the scriptures and some of the passages and some of the characters that we're familiar with in the, in the Old Testament, like Abraham. We think of Abraham as typically this kind of frail old guy with the long beard, Father Abraham, right? Uh, I'm thinking, you know, yeah, I mentioned he eventually got that way, but I think this is probably a better <laughs> idea of something like, you know, early Abraham, you know, before he became that frail old guy. Uh, because when you start reading... Uh, like the Genesis 14 war, that's a crazy war right there. That that yeah. war is Lord Abraham of the Rings was badass. <laughs> he was go good. Read that. Yeah, he was a warrior uh, man. Four kings against the five kings, and the four kings beat the five kings and chased them all into the slime pits, which later became the uh, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, all that whole thing, right there. Um, it, it says Lot was taken. Lot and his family were, were captured as spoils of war. Right, the four kings beat the five kings. Took Lot and his family. Abraham goes. <clears throat> I don't think so. Gets together a band of 318 guys. You know, remember 300? <laughs> 318 guys. And it says that they slaughtered Keter Lahamar. Now, Keter Lahamar was Amraphel. Amraphel was the title of Nimrod. He, Amraphel is Nimrod. Uh, Joshua tells you that. And uh, Keter Lahamar is like his general patent. And Abraham and his boys utterly destroyed, slaughtered Ketolotmar, who was the leader of the armies that just wiped out five giant armies worth of you know, their enemies. Abraham and 300 guys. Now, Abraham had some interesting allies, though. Mamre, Aner, and Eshkel, who were, who were also giants. And Elohim. So, yeah. Yah was Josephus with them, too, I guess. Right tell you. If you, if Don't forget that. If you're just from yeah. reading the, the Genesis text, Josephus breaks it down. Yeah, he was like a superhero. Right blank in antiquity of the Jews. It says, these kings laid waste to all Assyria and overthrown the offspring of the giants. He tells you point blank. This was a war against giants against giants. And put that a little bit into perspective. <laughs> you know, I believe this is something like what the Hebrew spies may have encountered when they, when they went into the land and they saw the giant. They felt like grasshoppers. And I love Caleb. He's like, yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy, for we are well able to overcome it. <laughs> like, dude. <laughs> you know, everybody gives the spies a bad rap, but I mean, come on. Now, to be fair, I understand why God got mad, because God had just delivered him from Egypt and the pillar of fire and you know, all the split in the Red Sea and all of the stuff that God had already proved to them, hey, I'm with you. Don't worry about what you see. I'll take care of it. But if you're just a normal human guy and you see something like that, I can understand why people are like, whoa, <laughs> yai, yai, yai. yeah. So, uh, again, I like to put together timeline charts. I have these in the back if you want to check them out. Uh, the Genesis 14 came from this chart right here. But as I was looking through that research, I also noticed something interesting in the story where um, Sarah dies, right? Abraham had to bury his wife. It says he negotiates with an the individual Besorah, Ephron of the Hittites. The seed of Sarah. Several places it says that. 
Well, when you look into the Hittites, Hittites are among also the group of known as the Gospel. There's an interesting study so on that. Nephilim. The Hittites have many different carvings and depictions of animal-human hybrids. You got a satyr dude right here, two of them, and you got lion men, human body lion men. The scripture talks about them fight against lion men of Moab. Now, so I mean, you got to, if you if you if you kind of know what to look for, you'll start seeing lots of wild stuff in your scriptures. And when you look up Ephron's name in that book, J.B. Jackson's book, Dictionary of Scripture Proper Names, Ephron's name means fawn-like. The Hittites' name means they're the terrors. The terrors have depictions of satyrs. Makes you wonder. I can't say this for a fact, but it makes you wonder. Was Ephron a satyr? I'm just putting it out there. And if you read the book of Joshua, you'll see that there's an account. I think the prophet's name was Zepho or something. I think it was a descendant of Esau. He's going out trying to find his donkey, and he hears a noise. He goes into a cave, and it describes a person that from the waist down was a goat, and from the waist up was a human that's messed with it, so he kills it. But it's just, it, when you read it, it's just written matter of fact. It's like, yeah, I killed a horse, you know? You know, to us, we're like, Dinosaur what? barbecue. <laughs> but to them, it's like, yeah, you know, I killed a satyr, you know, or, or we just went to war against the lion in a Moab, you know? And if you look at the, the, the black obelisk of Shamanese the third. It shows the lion men. It shows these people who are taller than elephants. Is that a mammoth? These dudes that have lion bodies and human heads. Yeah, it looks like it. And Shamanazer, King Shamanazer, is, uh, is referred to in the book of either first. Oh, look at those hybrid-looking things on that wall. That stuff's in your scriptures. <laughs> you know they're trying to bring back the woolly mammoth? And again, the, I've heard. The, I wonder if they have the it already. That we find in the postal world are Nephilim that stuff, came man. from other Nephilim. They're not Nephilim that came from angels. It says point blank in Numbers 1333. Would you wear a woolly mammoth coat? These are the Anakim oh, yeah. who came from Anakim, sure. who came from Arba, who's an <laughs> Only if I killed it. And some of Ham stepped off the ark with no mention of angels. So, with all that as a backdrop, let's talk about the potential of the return Did of the Did you know that not is a part from Hebrew? Well, just for going knowledge. back to that chart, <laughs> looking at what happened, what? Yeshua said the it land was of, the days of The land of Noah, fart. Right? Not the days of Jared. <laughs> I thought he meant like nodding my head. First generation were killed. The first generation, the, uh, the watchers were judge bound and buried for how long? Seventy generations. Right. We get that information from First uh, Enoch chapter ten, verse twelve. For seventy generations they shall be buried. Well, Psalm ninety, verse ten defines a generation as seventy years, eightieth by strength. Uh, well, if you just went on the low side, seventy times seventy, forty nine hundred years from roughly three thousand B.C. brings us to the beginning of the twentieth century. 4,900 years from 3,000 B.C., beginning of the 20th century. Makes you wonder. I mean, think about that. Think about the 20th century. Think about the Industrial Revolution in the end of the 1800s. And Rob makes a really good point here. It was basically explosion a explosion of technology. Right? In terms of transportation, you know, horse and buggy, beasts of burden, and stuff like that. To all of a sudden, locomotives, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, supposedly sending people to the moon, and you know, airplanes, and you know, space probes, and all, all that, and like yeah. 50 John years. John the Baptist wore camel hair. You know, less than 100 years. What happened? Ain't nothing wrong with well, wearing some cool I think animal we may hide. Be looking at the return yeah. of the watchers. As long as you don't eat those unclean maybe things. <laughs> are being systematically released. I don't know if they're all released at the same time. But if you look at the Book of Enoch of what the watchers taught men to do, and you look at what men started doing in the 20th century. It's a really good match. You know, uh, I was looking at some information regarding knowledge and transportation in a pre-flood world, I believe, was way more advanced. Uh, I, I, I wanted to pause it here and make a comment, Jeremiah. Maybe you have some thoughts. So you know how angels... Okay, so uh, 
the Melakim, uh, these are messengers from heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and we see what the angels, the f- watchers did before the flood was they came and taught men all kinds of secret knowledge, right? Well, what if, I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of how like there seems to be like a frequency of inspiration and somebody all the way across the world will come up with the same idea as somebody else. And Mm -hmm. the first to like publish it gets the credit, but there's provable cases where several people have come up with ingenious ideas or uh, musical artistic inspiration, you know, has just hits them. And, and it happens like at the same time. And um, it kind of makes me think, you know, is that the frequency of the, the angelic messengers kind of, dishing out knowledge to mankind and it's the the heart of man that determines how that knowledge is used so whether it's a melody for a a rock band right they can use it to sing about sex drugs and rock and roll or that same melody can then be used by a righteous man to sing about the truth and the worship of the almighty and and the beauty of creation you know so like it's interesting how the the angels revealed knowledge and it's almost like you see similar kind of reverberations of that concept in today's world uh it's almost like a like somebody wakes up from a dream and like it like all of a sudden are inspired to go and build this machine that somebody else is getting the same kind of frequency kind of idea like 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 a dream like a dream or they're just struck with inspiration. And to me, I wonder if that's the Melakim, the messengers uh, operating and doing their job, which is literally giving knowledge and information to mankind, teaching us. And it's up to us, whether we have a, a, you know, a heart after the almighty or a heart after the world of how we use that knowledge for then good or evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Well, um, once we have knowledge, you know, it, it's just like a phone, right? If the fallen angels help get this technology into mankind's hands, we then now have the ability and the propensity to use this for good or evil. You know, I can spend all day watching trash on my phone and learning about deep, dark, terrible things and filling my mind up with garbage. Or I can use it to, you know, go the other route, which is use it to study the, the wisdom of the ancients and and, Share means. you know, learn. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, we can use the knowledge these angels are revealing for good or bad. Like, you know, if we just use nuclear technology, for example, you know, one, it could be used for, you know, weapons of mass destruction. You know, if, if nuclear bombs are even a real thing, I, I, you know, I've had that questioned recently, but, um, or we could use it for this amazing power source that could just, you know, keep you know electricity on for eons or whatever and it's just it's an interesting concept the revelation that uh, you know watchers could be sharing knowledge at an exponential rate and and what does that look like does it look like a, a like an entity showing up in somebody's bedroom and giving them a book with a you know directions or is it kind of what i'm describing where it's just like this frequency or or whatever that people tap into and then they use that revelation to then you know manifest these concepts and these inventions and ideas and um it it, i'm just you know i'm curious how you know the 
the angelic realm operates um, in terms of, you know, revealing the knowledge to mankind. Cause you know, you have that Greek concept of a muse, you know, the muse comes and, and gives the artistic inspiration. Um, so is that kind of how the, the fallen ones would operate? And uh, is, you know, the right, you know, the good angels, do they operate in a similar fashion where they give inspiration to people to, you know, pursue particular things or, or, you know, I don't know. I'm off on a rabbit trail here, but I got in a weird lane, a weird lane on YouTube where it was like the top 10, uh, songs that were written from dreams. And one of them was like Paul McCartney, let it be. And there were, there were a couple other ones and it was like, they had thought that they had heard it somewhere. They, they swore that they heard it somewhere and they would play it for their bandmates and their friends. And they'd be like, no, I've never heard that. It's a great tune, but I've never heard it. And then they they would record it thinking that they were stealing somebody else's song and then find out that it's theirs. And they're like, like, what what was that? You know, (laughs) Savage Warrior says, I think they have to go to Antarctica to get the knowledge, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yaya's on the same page. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, Rob was on to something, you know, the explosion of what we're doing with technology and stuff. stuff. They were doing with their brain. I think they were doing, you know, they had a better understanding of of crystals and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I think they were far more advanced than we are today. Of course, the flood narrows it down to eight people, you know, Uh, and then after that, they start to repopulate the earth. And by the time you get to the Tower of Babel, you got about 600,000 men, at least by the time of the Tower of Babel. And so assuming that some of that wisdom and understanding was retained in Noah and his three sons and was passed on to the successive generations, they're all together, the plains of Shinar, under the leadership of Nimrod, and their plan is to build a tower to reach into heaven. And if you keep reading throughout the other texts, their plan was to kill God. Effectively, they're like, oh, really? God wiped out the whole pre-flood world? Huh. All right, let's take God out. That's what their plan was. So God said, oh, yeah, uh, I'm going to mess up your language, which is a brilliant move on God's part. Because if this is what they're going to do with all this wisdom and understanding, what better way to knock all that wisdom down than to confuse everybody's languages so you can't understand what the other guy's saying? So there are 70 different people groups, 70, 70 different languages. They all went away from the same place talking about the same God, Nimrod, now with different names because they have different languages. We'll talk about that in the next session. They all go away. Now, what happens if you got like, you know, you got Tesla and Einstein? Oh, by the way, uh, the book of Jasher talks about how some of the people at the Tower of Babel were cursed to become elephants. And uh, I've always thought that was really interesting because uh, while, um, you know, we have it's it's, you know, just kind of an extra biblical book account. I, I haven't found a second witness for it. Um, but if he cursed a, se- a segment of these people to become elephants at the Tower of Babel, it makes sense that those uh, people at, uh, what is it, um, in India have all these elephant-headed gods. And if you look at elephants today, they're one of the only mammals that have uh, breasts like humans do. Like the female elephants have like boobs. not to be crude but literally like they're just and and also apes savage warrior said um 
so cursed to be elephants and apes. And it's interesting, you know, the lifespan of elephants and just the how, you know, knowing those big brown eyes are how they they seem to have memories and they mourn the loss of other elephants. So it, it, it could be a, a long lost tribe of mankind that the almighty cursed. And also it, it could be that it's tied to the uh, Nimrod's revelation to create um, what is it uh, like Nephilim again? Like he could have found the genetic manipulation and genetic, you know, corruption devices that were pre-flood and that's kind of what happened is he was implementing it and corrupted who you know a whole generation of people that you know that came out looking like elephants you know it's <laughs> um, but man. uh yeah <laughs> elephant man yeah anthony says uh, elephants and apes what does that say for evolution <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, evolution very yeah just just a just an interesting thing you know we we see uh, parallels yeah, with uh you, you know, know men becoming animal like in several you know? <laughs> circumstances like nebuchadnezzar well, would be a good example good, you know, these guys are the guys gonna be um, you know carving on caves you know there's a pretty horse <laughs> you know you know the, you see how wisdom knowledge and understanding could be easily chopped way down from what it was just by the act of confusing languages easily and then it kind of fluctuates, you know. And We've reversed the curse of the Tower of Babel with the modern internet uh, removing the language barrier, too, in a lot of ways. So what does that mean? Then you hit the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, and... Google Translate, baby. Last day's knowledge shall increase. You also have characters showing up in the beginning of the 20th century, like Bigfoot. Foster Crowley. Showing up, uh, he does in, in January through March of 1918, famed occultist Alistair Crowley began a series of magical Barbara Bush's dad. workings in which he is said to have opened a portal to another dimension. Isn't he on an album cover of the Beach Boys? The Beatles. Uh, well, possibly a fallen Oh, the Beatles. That's right. Mm-hmm. Lamb to enter through it. Could this have been one of the ways that these guys were released? You know, their prison sentence was nearing an end anyway, if not coming to an end completely. And then through the act of man, these guys start being released, maybe. Interesting, this is the picture he drew in 1918 of the entity. That came through looks a whole lot like shout out jj yeah jj Alien grays of today's pop culture. the best interesting well he had some disciples namely uh jet propulsion laboratory founder and rocket fuel scientist jack parson and scientology and dianetics founder l ron hubbard these guys yeah, were disciples of crowley and in march of 1946 at a location that later became known as area 51 these guys start doing an experiment they call the Babylon working. Like the Amalantra working, it was based on ceremonial sex magic. Unlike Crowley, however, they were not as adept at opening and closing portals, and theirs apparently stayed open in the modern UFO era began one year later, 1940. Apparently they were trying to manifest the Antichrist through like really evil, wicked sex. Because whenever you that conceive, the time, when that's the moment that a spirit on, enters the, the body that's going to grow in the womb. And they were trying to do these nasty, gross, evil things to conceive were buried, some like you know, nasty, Yon. evil, wicked and souls. And, and, and you know, apparently, <laughs> you know, we have some interesting uh, political figures were born around the time they were doing those experiments. How many of you think we're getting close to the last days? It says right in the first few verses of Enoch, hey, this is for uh, that generation. I've been meaning to hit 
JJ up and get some of his produce. I think there's value in these books. That's the best, man. Because they give you won't us a great it. deal of information about what was going on with these watchers the first time around, and if they're being released, they're going to be doing a lot of de deceiving, right? This howdy is to you as well, Joseph. Coding deception. Howdy, howdy. Well, a whole lot of deception is coming from these guys. I think the timing is really interesting. You know, again, is it just a coincidence that these books are popping up and, you know, right at a time such as this? And uh, I mentioned Daniel earlier. You know, where it talks about in the last days, knowledge shall increase. Well, Daniel also says in Daniel 2.43, Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they, who's they, shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So we have human seed being mixed with they. <laughs> who are they? But they, whoever they are, shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. I, I think this is a prophetic... They uh, them? Th this is something that may be being fulfilled in the whole alien abduction thing. If you start looking into people like Dr. David Jacobs and others that do interviews with people who claim to have been abducted and had things done to them, over and over and over and over again, you hear testimony of... of them putting in, being put into like a, a laboratory type setting where they're having seed and eggs extracted and you know uh, embryos implanted and fetuses removed it's all very scientific anthony what do you think uh the giants after the flood were then if the nephilim sex. didn't make it through the flood it's all very scientific i think that's what this could be you know a fulfillment of this prophecy right here again i'll point to what yeshua said as the days of noah not the days of jared the days of Jared were marked by mating of angels and humans. I don't think they're mating with us anymore. They could be doing things through genetic manipulation. Just genetic uh, like manipulation. Like in the scenarios. But uh, when it comes to the days of Noah, we see that that's when the, the creation of animal-human hybrids took place that brought about the corruption of all flesh and the judgment of the flood. If I'm to take Yeshua's words literally, all I have to do is watch the evening news. More and more so. Oh, the line of the serpent. These days. Okay. In fact, I don't know if you guys were following my YouTube Differentiating channel, between you were, hopefully you, you did cast your vote, those but, who were conceived uh, I do not believe our votes count in terms from of fallen angels versus those who were conceived from the serpent. Some other things, and we were given an opportunity I know this to express is getting into our the... concerns regarding the lifting of the ban of blending of animals and humans. There was a ban that was imposed on the whole idea of blending humans and animals together that they were put a proposal that said that they were going to consider lifting that ban but they wanted to that ban but they wanted to hear from us by i think it was the sixth the jews teach that uh so agabashan uh like around clung September to the outside of the ark and oh, no man, we got like six days here holy cow you know it's a rabbinic uh, position, so i put out a video just saying guys please recorded in the targum account this is not good now we know it, the inevitable is going to happen it doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen on our watch you know, when I look at 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then he says, I'll hear you. I'll heal your land. I think, I mean, we know what's going to happen. Revelation, you know, the, a lot of prophetic scriptures, we know it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean it has to happen on my watch. I think we can push some of these things off, you know. There's plenty of places in scripture that show that, you, that we can't. Now, I know a lot of prophecy guys out there think tomorrow's the end. Nier says it's a myth about Og Rapture's singing to the ark. A comet's going to come or something. There's always something in September. <laughs> last September. <laughs> last September 23rd was the big hot button, if you remember. Uh, personally, I think we probably have as little as 18 more years to go, possibly as much as 80, based on the research that I've been doing. 
I hope I'm wrong. You know, that doesn't mean that if we have 18 or 80 years that it's going to be good. But my opinion is we're not in the days of Noah yet. We are taking our beginning first steps. We're in the I'll tell you what, man, Rob, he absolutely was living through it in 2020. Six, six, he he six, got to see the, the very shot. beginning stages of them rolling out some of those agendas years. that he's been you warning know, about for years. What we're reading about yeah. and what we're hearing about in the news about what's yeah. happening with animal-human hybridization, if that's what they're telling us, what do you think they're not telling us? You know, I'm not so naive to think that, yeah, if we cast our vote, you know, to, we don't want the ban lifted, it's not going to happen. Look, yeah, I, I think that's what demons are. Creating super soldiers. Disembodied Nephilim and abominable spirits that weren't ever meant to exist, was, pretty much. My tax dollars to, to, to do that. You know, I am not in support of that. Yeah, crazy stuff's going on. In the, we are taking our beginning steps. The only explanation of what demons are in the ancient we go back to text what I comes the from the Book of, of Enoch. I mean, without it, uh, Christians serpent, confuse right? oftentimes fallen angels with demons. Like they're open, different entities entirely. Right? And you shall be as gods. Okay? Look at those three promises right there. Keep them in mind as you listen to the words of Professor Nick Bostrom. Well, hang on. Is to try to understand the bigger picture for humanity, our place in the world, and what might lie in store for our species in the future, particularly the way we might use technologies to enhance ourselves or to um, go beyond what we currently think of as our human nature, whether it might be by radically extending the human lifespan through um, solving the problem of aging or increasing our intellectual capacities, improving our memory, or taking control of our own emotional states. Um, I think that we are right now in a transitional phase um, where before the end of this century we will either have gone extinct or we will have most likely taken the step to become what you might call transhumans or posthumans or just very uh, enhanced humans that have reached their full potential. The same three promises in the same order. Now totally possible <laughs> with our MN and RNA agenda. Claiming they can cure cancer with uh, that particular medical experiment lately. Crazy. crazy. This circle right here, this represents what humans can see, hear, taste, touch, smell. This is what our senses They're rolling it out. Possible. We're literally seeing it, guys. The They're changing the, the, the code, right corrupting you know, the image. Right in front of us. See in different frequencies that we can't see in. They can hear in frequencies. But trust the man hear. in the white lab they coat, can, right? Yeah, you know, the radar of a bat, the sonar we of a have dolphin, to. right? We know that various creatures have abilities that we don't have. So he says, well, what, what if we blend humans and animals together? We might end up with these abilities right here. And if we keep messing around with the genome and keep messing around, you know, with transhumanism and stuff, we might end up with this really big oval right there. And basically, these guys are saying we'll become like God. We will become the gods. That's what they're saying. That's right there on their website. Now let's talk about genetic transhumanism. There's also the, the variety of transhumanism that deals with the blending of humans and machines. So how many of you know what the singularity is? Yeah. Singularity is the technical creation of smarter than human intelligence. They're talking about, you know, there's going to come a time where, where computers are going to surpass humanity, and yep. it's all over after that. <laughs> You're in Skynet, you know, Blade Runner, you know, Terminator. You're, you're in that realm after that. And they have 
all these Time Magazine's, you know, covers, you know, one of them right there, 2045, the year man becomes immortal, shows the dude with a plug in the back of his head. If you go to 2045.com, 2045.com, just read about the 2045 Strategic Home, uh, uh, what is it, Social Initiative. The 2045 Strategic Social Initiative. They have stated objectives, and they're right there, right now, they're in the 2015 to 2020, and they're already making strides to achieve the milestones here. So they're on a good trajectory to meet their other ones. And their stated objective is to achieve immortality, we would say parenthetically apart from God, by the year 2045. So I can't really see much beyond 2045. I mean, if we're still here, it's going to be crazy. Uh, I mean, truth is going to be way stranger than any science fiction that we've seen in the past, in my opinion. Nephilim Shalom near. Well, um, this is one of several scriptures that I could point to that I, I would suggest may be references that would lead us to believe that we could be dealing with Nephilim in the very near future. Is where we see the beast thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Where does beast come from? Okay. Keep that in mind for that. I said praise Yah, not Fraser. And go into perdition. Keep it auto correct. That AI is getting to us, y'all. Book of life for the foundation of the world. Who are these people? What happens if you reject Yeshua as your Savior? If you, if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, what happens to your name? It's blotted out, right? Cool, Savage. Put a link in the comment section where they can with. check it out. It had to have already been there. I, I basically believe that it's like whenever I do public speaking, I, I just say, look, you know, get me there and give me a hotel room to stay and I'll speak anywhere and I don't charge to speak or anything like that. Just get me there and put a roof over my head. So when I come to an event like this, I just have to go over to the counter over there, give them my name, and my room has already been paid for, right? Typically, my name's already on the register. All I have to do is confirm my reservation. Price has been paid. Well, I think it's essentially the same thing. Our name was put in from the foundation of the world. All we have to do is confirm our reservation. Yeshua paid a very high price to get you that mansion, right, that's coming. But if you show up and you say, well, you, I mean, we paid the price. Everything's paid for. You rejected it. Why? I don't know why you chose to do that. Sorry, dude. I'm going to have to blot your name out. You know, you reject it, you get blotted out. You accept it, you just confirmed your reservation. Does that make sense? Yes. So then who are these people whose names are never written? I think they're people that are never meant to exist in the first place, in my opinion. These are probably created in laboratories, or these are probably, you know, various abominations that were not meant to exist in the first place. Now, I'm going to play a video here. How many of you have heard of CRISPR? CRISPR technology. Sounds this familiar. is going to explain just how far we are into this right now. Again, if this is what they're telling us, just imagine what they're not telling us. If the old techniques of genetic manipulation were like a map, CRISPR is like a GPS system. Aside from being precise, cheap, and easy, CRISPR offers the ability to edit live cells, to switch genes on and off, and target and study particular DNA sequences. It also works for every type of cell, microorganisms, plants, animals, or humans. Over 3,000 genetic diseases are caused by a single incorrect letter in your DNA. We are already building a modified version of Cas9 that is made to change just a single letter, fixing the disease in the cell. In a decade or two, we could possibly cure thousands of diseases forever. But all of these medical applications have one thing in common. 
They are limited to the individual and die with them, except if you use them on reproductive cells or very early embryos. But CRISPR can and probably will be used for much more. The creation of modified humans, designer babies, and will mean gradual but irreversible changes to the human gene pool. Modified humans could alter the genome of our entire species because their engineered traits will be passed on to their children and could spread over generations, slowly modifying the whole gene pool of humanity. It will start slowly. The first designer babies will not be overly designed. It's most likely that they will be created to eliminate a deadly genetic disease running in a family. As the technology progresses and gets more refined, more and more people may argue that not using genetic modification is unethical because it condemns children to preventable suffering and death and denies them the cure. But as soon as the first engineered kid is born, a door is opened that can't be closed anymore. Early on, vanity traits will mostly be left alone. But as genetic modification becomes more accepted and our knowledge of our genetic code enhances, the temptation will grow. If you make your offspring immune to Alzheimer, why not also give them an enhanced metabolism? Why not throw in perfect eyesight? How about height or muscular structure? Full hair? How about giving your child the gift of extraordinary intelligence? Huge changes are made as a result of the personal decisions of millions of individuals that accumulate. This is a slippery slope. Modified humans could become the new standard. But as engineering becomes more normal and our knowledge improves, we could solve the single biggest mortality risk factor, aging. Two-thirds of the 150,000 people who die today will die of age-related causes. Currently, we think aging is caused by the accumulation of damage to our cells, like DNA breaks and the systems responsible for fixing those wearing off over time. But there are also genes that directly affect aging. A combination of genetic engineering and other therapy could stop or slow down aging, maybe even reverse it. We know from nature that there are animals immune to aging. Maybe we could even borrow a few genes for ourselves. Some scientists even think biological aging could be something that eventually just stops being a thing. We would still die at some point, but instead of doing so in hospitals at age 90, we might be able to spend a few thousand years with our loved ones. Even further into the future, we could engineer humans to be equipped for extended space travel and to cope with different conditions on other planets, which would be extremely helpful in keeping us alive in our hostile universe. What if you could have superpowers? Just put my squirt squirt juice right in your arm there and just be a step in the natural evolution of intelligent species in the universe. We might end disease. We could extend our life expectancy by centuries and travel to the stars. There's no need to think small when it comes to this topic. Whatever your opinion on genetic engineering, the future is approaching no matter what. What has been insane science fiction is about to become our new reality. A reality full of opportunities and challenges. <clears throat> just so I know, say gay? technology is extremely inexpensive. What? It's not like somebody said gay? You're turning him gay? To get this equipment. Oh, they're turning him gay. Yeah, the frogs, the, the water. Start doing your own thing. During so the freaking frogs game. Colleges are having these things. I mean, that's how easy it is becoming to start tinkering with the human genome. Yeah. We're in the days of Noah. 
We're taking those steps. And they, they're just, these guys are telling Now they're you, mandating it too, guys. Watch this is out. Gonna happen. You're going to start seeing people that are hybrids. Did you see how many pictures they showed of people with tails and wings? And, you know, interesting though that they said, you know, it may just be part of normal evolution and they showed aliens <laughs> sitting there. No, I don't believe that there are aliens. I believe we're dealing with fallen ones. Wait, if Deception. we're believing their narrative, isn't that going Except, backwards? Getting a tail, is, you know, right? When, when Adam and Eve fell for the deception and yeah. went into disobedience, they were just exiled from the garden. When we get to this point, we're being exiled from eternity, from, from, with God. We're being exiled from the kingdom. Optogenetics. That's a big problem. Again, I'm going to refer to... Got to check your video out. I think Nephilim basically essentially amounts to when that which has fallen from the original state. I think that's what's taking place. Now, when it comes to all this stuff, you know, I talk about all these things and sometimes people get a little bit freaked out. Uh, I don't want to leave you in fear. The scripture says that my people perish for what? Lack of knowledge. Okay, so if people perish for lack of knowledge. What if we got educated? <laughs> you know, so I'm just trying to show you what's going on. This is what's happening. And not and having a vision. There's a really interesting conversation that took place in Caesarea Philippi. And I never really understood the significance of that conversation until I stood in the location where the conversation took place in 2005. That location that's at the, at the base of Mount Hermon. Caesarea Philippi is at the base of Mount Hermon where the 200 watch. By the way, I didn't get a shout out. Uh, Jared. We had uh, one of our subscribers, there, certified time, conservative, um, did a super chat. So thank you. To, yeah, thank you so uh, much. They said, thanks. Thanks for what you guys do. We really appreciate you. Represented there as well. We couldn't do it without and you. If, if, if Pans right here, then off to the left was a place known and is still known to this day as the Gate of Hades. It's a cave at the base of Mount Hermon. And Yeshua says, who do men say that I am? And the disciples are like, well, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, what are you, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, plural, will not overpower it. I never understood. Why does Yeshua get so excited about, you know, Peter says, you're the Christ. Well, other people, I, you know, the demons said it all the time. You post it in the you're comment the section. Everybody can see it uh, be quiet. if they watch it late or whatever. Pick Nathaniel. He said, you are the Christ. Yeah, go ahead, Watchman. Under the fig tree. You know, at the beginning of his ministry. So I mean, he had people telling him he's the Christ, the Son of God. All through his ministry, demons are saying it, people are saying it. So what's the big deal when Peter says it? I think the big deal is Peter understood the, the significance of the location. We knew that Peter understood what happened in the book of Enoch because he later writes about it. The angels that sinned were bound in chains and put in Tartarus. Peter figured it out. So I, I'm a filmmaker. So I kind of, the way I envision this, the conversation is if you can imagine like this is the altar of Pan right here and all the other gods and Jesus is standing here with his back to that and you're Peter looking this way, you know, at Yeshua. And I can just see Peter thinking to himself, he knows who we think he is. Why, do, why is he asking this? And if I'm shooting the scene, the way I would see it is like, you know, Peter's point of view, he's looking at Yeshua in focus and all of a sudden Yeshua goes out of focus and Pan comes in focus and then Pan goes out of focus, and Yeshua comes back in focus, and a light bulb goes off, and Peter goes, oh, oh I get it. If you guys are having trouble sharing things in the chat, just make sure to post it in the comments afterwards. He, Peter we can understood find the significance of the location where they were standing, and that's why Yeshua got excited. So you get it. Yeah, no, no worries.
Um, if you're looking at Mount Hermon, it was a very strategic place for Yeshua to bring his disciples. His destination is Jerusalem. So he takes this massive detour to go all the way up to northern Israel, southern Lebanon, to stop at Caesarea Philippi to, ask this, to have this conversation? Really? And then he takes, I think it was Peter, James, and John to the top of a high mountain. It's the highest mountain in the region. So many scholars believe, as I also believe, that he took them to the top of Mount Hermon, to ground zero where the angels landed, whose goal, the first prophecy in the Bible was that, that this Eve's seed was going to crush the devil's head. So if you're the devil and you're hearing that prophecy, her seed's going to crush your head, what do you think you're going to do to her seed? You're going to mess it up. That's a bad thing, getting your head crushed, right? <laughs> so if the prophecy is her seed's going to crush my head, well, I'm going to mess up her seed then. That's what took place in Genesis chapter 6. And the promised seed himself, the guy who showed up, the, 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 the fulfillment of that prophecy, the seed of Eve, finally shows up and steps on ground zero. The plan was hatched to try to get rid of him from ever happening in the first place. If you look down from Mount Hermon, you know, down, if, you, if you're on Mount Hermon facing Israel, down sort of to the left right there is the fortress of Nimrod. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, this is the area where they would have had the conversation right there. That's the cave. That's the gate of Hades, which is also depicted over here. That's actual. He was standing in front of the gate of a gate of Hades when he said the gates of Hades are not going to prevail. And it takes them to the top of a high mountain. This is the top of Mount Hermon today, where they have a man. That's so interesting. <laughs> up there, I wonder what. I mean, I understand this. He, he's declaring a challenge to the agenda of the Watchers at too. Mount Hermon. That's Especially just mind blowing. It's, it's so cool. Uh, satanic ritual abuse SRA. You'll find a lot of stories traced back to that spot right there in current today satanic ritual abuse situations. But Same old lie. That's right. There where people put that there because they believe that's where the Mount of Transfiguration, where, where that event took place. I believe that that's where it took place as well. Moral of the story, the whole thing is, look, do not be deceived. We know there's a coming great deception, right? Yes, there it's is. It's so great that even the elect could be deceived by it, right? If it be possible. They could offer you a beer I'm gonna or a free donut. Just participate. <laughs> I think, I think or some French fries. We're already deceived about a great many things. Some people say, well, it's as if it'd be possible. That means it's not going to be possible. Oh, you man. What if it turns out to be the, the real deal corrupting I mean, the image thing? We're already deceived. And looking back, they're like, man, so I fell for the great deception, and it was a donut. What's going to be like <laughs> yeah. when you come back? Or a small <laughs> fry from McDonald's. So, Let no man deceive you. <laughs> that would be so tragic, man. So if it's man. not possible to be deceived, oh. why did he start out with, don't let anybody deceive you? It's going to be very possible. Sell your soul for some magic so, beans you know, that don't go nowhere. Hopefully this weekend, as each of us go through our presentations, this will help us all not to be deceived. Thank you very much. All right. That was Thanks so much the... for watching. I hope you enjoyed this video presentation. If you did. Part one to the Decoding Deception Conference presentation. And I uh, hope you guys like this uh, special format. We've not done this before. This is... Episode 70 of Skiba News Nation. Not so yeah. newsful, but... Wear my uh, tie t-shirt. Yeah, it's a Got special occasion. Mm. <laughs> We've I've really enjoyed interacting with you guys in the chat today. Um, I think uh, Jeremiah was excited to, sh to tell you how our meeting with uh, the famed Eddie Bravo and Sam Tripoli went last week. Yeah, man. I mean, it was awesome that you were here because uh, my girlfriend, Lindsay, she was scrolling through facebook and she saw that eddie bravo and sam 
Tripoli were coming. And uh, so you stayed an extra couple of days and then we went and watched them and we weren't going to leave until we talked to him. It was so crazy. Like, I didn't think we'd, we'd get the chance to talk to him, but they were super friendly. And uh, I thought it was, I had walked to the car and you told me to come back in. Remember? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it was so important that we connect because you, you had already been messaging back and forth with Eddie Bravo. And for mm -hmm. those of you who are not familiar, he, he's got kind of a, a large following online. He, He's been on he, Joe Rogan. Uh, very, yeah, been on Joe Rogan. He's called out Rob Skiba several times in online podcasts and stuff, talking about flat Earth and biblical cosmology and such. And it, it was it was very cool to get to actually connect with them in person. And um, he was shorter I, than I, I just, thought. Very much shorter. <laughs> yeah, every all these famous people, man. I don't know what it is. It's little man syndrome. Except for no Owen, offense, you know, if they're watching right now, yeah, Owen Benjamin. Yeah, he he's got the opposite effect. You know, he's towering over everyone else. But yeah, uh, I, I wanted to make a comment about the show. Is uh, it was the conspiracy comedy show or mm -hmm. whatever, and there were so many people there that I could just get this vibe of hungry for the truth like people that were really aware of the deceptions the past few years um they've been looking going down the rabbit hole and they were this there to meet people and talk it, it really reminded me of just kind of it, the, the similar circles we run into with some of the conferences and stuff that rob and i used to go to over the years um just people hungry there to meet and talk and and while there was a a bunch of uh you know you know jokes that would turn off the religious minded and easily offended very crass uh there was a lot of well-made points woven into the comedy show and, and and it just struck me as like there are so many people waking up man so many people oh, that yeah. were shaken into wakefulness um and we're not saying woke you know the the term that the left has now yeah, capitalized on their awakening their, yeah the people that are aware that there is a spiritual realm that is they need to get reconnected with the almighty i mean uh you know sam tripoli the guy who runs that tinfoil hat podcast was saying well i used to be a terrible person but now i'm reading the bible <laughs> you know <laughs> and and it just it shows that there's so many people in so many different walks of life that are really seeking right now so it brings to mind that verse, you know, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, you know, who is there to share truth when it is needed. And I think, you know, running into people at, you know, events like that is the perfect opportunity to start sharing some of the faith that is in you, you know, and, and some of the truths you've come across over the years. So don't hold yourself up, you know, whenever you are, you know, feel isolated, go and seek out locations and events like the, the one we went to yep. where there are people that are truly seeking and truly looking for answers it's it, it was amazing really really got into some good conversations not only with uh you know eddie and and sam there but with a lot of the people and just in the audience that they, they were just like hey man I, I i think you know i really want to talk to you. you you seem like a cool guy and then we're like talking about the you know yah and the commandments and and our faith and yeshua and like it, it goes in so many directions and the the opportunity is wide open 
to have really meaningful conversations. But it was yeah. a really cool experience, man. I'm so glad we stick, stuck around and got to do that. Well, I remember when I told Eddie who I was, this was after the show, he he was like, are, are you serious? And I was like, yes, I'm, I'm Rofsky, the son. He said, his only kid? I said, yes. And he said, um, that is so cool or something like that. And then I gave him uh, uh, one of our fans and uh, I'll give a give him a shout out. It's uh, all A-L-T-A-I-R 3D. They make these really cool 3D printings like like this little globe, flat globe thing. But um, I gave him, he, he sent, this guy sent me some coasters and they were, it was really cool. And I was like, man, Eddie would like this. So I brought it to Eddie and Eddie was like, oh, this is so cool. And so he uh, started texting with me and uh, looks like we're going to set something up pretty soon. If you guys are looking forward to that, let me know. Yeah, that'll be a cool talk. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think whenever you interact uh, with people of a different lifestyle or background. Um, I think just the way people are can be a barrier to interacting and learning from others. And mm -hmm. um, like, for example, like uh, Anthony posted, he's like, yeah, at least Owen does give people a courtesy flush on his potty mouth from time to time. He tries, in other words. Um, so like, it, it's kind of the disclaimer that when you're interacting with people that still have kind of a lot of uh, a background that you might not relate to or they don't use the language that you feel is proper or they tell jokes that you think are too dirty or whatever. Um, it's, it's oftentimes it, it weeds out the religious minded who are too good to be around the, you know, the icky, you know, low lives. But there's, there's something about just being in, able to interact with somebody and having patience for where somebody's at uh, is is uh, such a important uh, quality, and uh, and and you know oftentimes, you know, language really does kind of weed out those who don't have the patience to actually have real conversations, and and uh, you know it, it's just I think it's so awesome you know being able to see you know people coming full circle and um. There's a upcoming debate I did want to mention before we wrap up the show about uh, it's between Dean Odell and Greg Locke, the the megachurch pastor in Tennessee there near Nashville. So that's coming up on, I think, December 4th. If you guys uh, are interested in that, I think they're live streaming it. I would love to make it in person. We're way down here in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, it would be cool to make it up there. But where is it? Um, uh, it's in it's Nashville, Tennessee, is where it's going to be. Uh, Anthony's asking, "Are y'all going to cover the debate with Pastor Dean Odell?" Uh, I would. I I kind of think that's a good idea, actually. Like I, you know, I like would one of out. these. Like what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, like now? one of these. We just watch it. You know, comment if they somebody makes a humdinger. You know. Let me let me know, guys. W would you guys like something like that? I'm interested. Yeah, that's cool. Well, any other thoughts or questions, guys, before we wrap up the show? I hope you guys enjoyed this special 70th episode, you know, throwing back some uh, some kudos to Rob's research. Watching that video, I thought would be a really great way to interact and and uh, and talk. Um, if I do end up going to that debate, if we end up making the drive, I'll let you guys know. And uh, if anybody else ends up going, we can meet up. When is it? I love Nashville. Yeah, December 4th. 
December 4th, I think. Uh, I can't exactly remember if that's right, but. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm from the Gatlinburg side of Nashville. Yeah, the last big debate was between Dr. Pigeon and Zen Garcia, and Zen uh, won that debate, um, according to the uh, the post here. Um, I love Zen. And Dr. Pigeon, I highly respect Dr. Pigeon. He's not on board with the flat earth topic or biblical cosmology, um, but he's a very wise man, and you know he sees differently. And, and so we got to understand that people might not, see eye to eye with you on every topic but you can still learn from somebody you know that's the most important thing i mean pigeon married sierra and i like that's how much respect i have for dr pigeon um so uh you know even though he doesn't see eye to eye on everything you know i still have tremendous respect and i think you know rob carried that same mindset you know with all the people he would interact with over the years i really respected that but uh Let's see. Uh, we need more good content to watch. Seems like anything worth watching is getting scrubbed off YouTube. Yep, that's true. Yep. We got a strike true. last last week, so we posted it on my dad's uh, YouTube. And it was for the weirdest reason, too. They wouldn't give me a timestamp. They wouldn't give us yeah. uh, any explanation. And I went back and forth like, you know me, Jake. I, I, I'll straight up like, like talk to them on email and be like so you need to tell me exactly what we did wrong and they could not tell me what we did wrong they were just like well you broke our policy but i was like where where did we break your policy and they, they couldn't they couldn't tell me okay so it is december 2nd so i definitely will not be able to make it we have a a family reunion thing happening on that date so uh it's too bad i'm gonna miss it then uh, probably be able to do a live stream or actually, at least after they post their video of the debate, we can re review it. It'd be very cool. Yeah. It's fun doing it with you guys, you know? Yeah. This is really fun. All right, Jeremiah. I think that's good for today. Uh, any final words? Uh, we love you guys. Episode 70 and it's, it's been fun. I'm, I'm glad you guys are here with us as we continue our quest for truth. And thank you. You got anything? Yeah, thank you guys. It, it's so cool to be able to be live on here talking and seeing your comments and stuff. And I uh, hope you all enjoyed. And we'll be back with, uh, I think, regular style Skiba News Nation programming next your week. Regular scheduled programming next week. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for joining Skiba News Nation. Thanks for all the support. Uh, like the video. Please share it out there. And until next time, Shabbat Shalom. It is Shabbat now. So, Shalom. time to go. And Kick it. All right, bye, guys. Story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi. Please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe. 
Click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform.